Welcome to a Roadmap for Enabling IT Modernization panel discussion, sponsored by CenturyLink. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Dr. Carl Mathias, the Chief Information Officer for the Justice Department's U.S. Marshal Service, John Moses, the Director of the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Mitchell Thornbrew, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the Indian Health Service in the Department of Health and Human Services, and David Young, the Senior Vice President for Strategic Government for CenturyLink. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. This December will be one year since the White House released its final IT modernization strategy. Federal Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent mentioned in August that OMB and the agency lead teams have accomplished 42 of 52 tasks outlined in that plan. She expects the final 12 to be done before the end of the year. The Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, contract, which is run by GSA, includes nine vendors, including CenturyLink, is mentioned 19 times throughout that strategy. There are three discrete tasks that focus on the impact OMB expects EIS to have on agencies. EIS provides the next generation voice, video, and data services on an enterprise level for all agencies. In fact, GSA and OMB have been very clear about telling agencies that EIS should underpin nearly all IT modernization efforts. In that IT modernization strategy, OMB says EIS provides access to managed service security tools and services, helps small and micro agencies access new capabilities, and consolidates acquisition of the telecommunications and security services. But so far in the early stages of EIS, agencies haven't necessarily jumped on the IT modernization train. But at the same time, that doesn't mean IT modernization isn't happening across the government. For example, OMB says in the second quarter of the President's Management Agenda report that approximately 45% of all civilian CFO Act agencies have put their email in the cloud. About 60% of all agencies have implemented Phase 1 tools under the CDM program, and 30% of all agencies have implemented Phase 2 tools, again, under CDM uh, cybersecurity program. So how can agencies continue to make progress, take advantage of the next generation services offered by EIS, and continue to improve how they serve their citizens? Well, once again, that's where our panel comes in. And my guests are Dr. Carl Mathias, the Chief Information Officer for the Justice Department's U.S. Marshal Service, John Moses, the Director of Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Mitchell Thornbrew, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the Indian Health Service at the Department of Health and Human Services, and David Young, the Senior Vice President for Strategic Government for CenturyLink. Let me start at the far end of the table with John Moses. Let's just start with IT modernization. Nuclear Regulatory Commission is doing a lot of work. What is your IT modernization strategy? So we have a two-part strategy at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The first part is over the next three years, we're enhancing the availability, reliability, and security of our ITM, IT, ITM services. Um, first off, we're replacing the agency's fleet of workstations and laptops and we're building out the campus-secured wireless network. For the second component, we're modernizing legacy IT and adopting cost-neutral or cost-minimal shared cloud and third-party shared services to facilitate long-term cost savings. Some of the examples of that include shifting to a multiplicity of PBX, uh, excuse me, shifting from a multiplicity of PBX and a VoIP system to a centralized unified VoIP platform for our campus and our regional offices, upgrading video teleconferencing capabilities to support Skype for Business. Three, shifting from on-premise email calendar contacts to Microsoft's Office 365 cloud services, so we're one of those 45%. <laughs> and last, migrating mission systems, such as the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's high-performance computing from on-premise hosting to cloud hosting. We're going to AWS for that service. So there's a lot there to unpack, and, and the one quick follow-up question is, it seems like there's a lot going on at once, so, so how the prioritization of that, how are you guys kind of laying that out? Are you trying to get to cloud and then adding those apps, or are you looking at your app saying, okay, which goes to cloud? Give me a sense of, of kind of the, the, the order. I know there's, sure. there's no one, two, three order. So we've, we've staggered some of the implementation of our modernizations. So we deployed Office 365, but not the full stack. We deployed the email calendars contacts initially. Later on, we'll um, deploy the OneDrive capabilities. And then we've also, actually prior to cloud, we even deployed Skype for Business. So we're taking each one at a kind of a, a, a careful, thoughtful pace to allow their organization to adjust to the new changes. In addition, because at the same time, um, what I didn't include, 
earlier in the year, we modernized our fleet of um, printers or multifunction devices. So we did that at one point. Then we did 365. Then we're doing unified communication through VoIP. Then we're going to lay out laptops. So that's why we're kind of alternating hardware, software, hardware, software. Excellent. Now, uh, Carl, at the U.S. Marshal Service, I know uh, I heard uh, Joe Klimovich, the CIO at Justice Speak just recently, and he talked about consolidating data centers, moving to the cloud. There's a ton going on. So maybe we'll talk about the Marshall Services' viewpoint of IT modernization. So, um, and, and we share a lot with NRC uh, in our strategy here. Um, DOJ has uh, led the way in terms of uh, how they handle their components with movement to Office 365. So we are now in Office 365. Uh, at the end of this month, I'm going to decommission my exchange servers. I will tell you. Is there a party? Uh, yes, that's what I was just heading to, Jason, was when I did this uh, for the uh, headquarters Air Force at the Pentagon, it was the happiest day of my life. This will uh, be the new happiest day of my life. Uh, it's just a burden I don't need, uh, and it's better managed uh, through a central shared instance that uh, Joe, like you indicated, Joe has set up and led the effort to go to. But as far as data centers, I'm happy to report I don't have any. Uh, we have moved into uh, th three of the DOJ's data centers, two of which are operated by the FBI by the end of this month, actually, I will be in only two of those data centers. Our long-term goal, though, at the Marshalls is to go ahead and get into the cloud. And so uh, right now I'm looking at GovCloud uh, uh, solutions, but we aren't ruling out that there might not be a hybrid approach with a government-run cloud combined with a commercial cloud capability. We're going to do what's optimal for delivery of services and what's optimal for the taxpayer in terms of cost. Uh, so in terms of IT modernization and, and that aspect, we're doing those things. But we're also, if you look into the agency strategic plan, and I always say my IT strategic plan is the agency strategic plan, uh, you'll find in the agency strategic plan that we need to modernize our warrant systems, our prisoner management systems, uh, things like that. We are actually on uh, board and on track to deliver a modernization system the, of that warrant system, and that is going to happen uh, first part at the end of this month, and then another delivery in the January, February time frame and then continuing deliveries that's uh, uh, through the agile development process as that goes out and we'll eventually replace our old legacy uh, warrant and prisoner management system. Uh, and then and, and also adding to that when we look at modernization uh, part of it, I do actually have IT strategic goals and one of those beyond the modernization of the legacy warrant system is delivery of mobile capabilities because our deputies are out in the field this is where we want them operating so we're doing the best we can to put uh, systems in their hands and make them uh, mobile. So we have simultaneously been putting out apps on the iPhones to allow them uh, to, be, for example, do identification, biometric identification of, of people, say we're pursuing a, a fugitive reading license plates, uh, being able to read a driver's license, those kinds of things. So we're pursuing a lot of fronts, and uh, I, I won't go into them all because other people have a chance to talk here. Carl, tongue going on, let, let, me, let me pick up on, on one thing. You seem to be doing two front assault, if you will. You have the mission side when you talk about the warrant systems and some of the others. Then you also have the back end. Are you finding that you're, you're slowly getting out of that back end piece and really just putting your focus when it comes to IT modernization on the mission side? Uh, that's my goal. Uh, you know, what I tell my staff is that if you read all the missions that the marshals uh, have to accomplish, nowhere in there does it say host large data sets or host have hardware servers or take care of circuits. And I'm looking here at David Young next to me on CenturyLink. Uh, we'd rather let others do that, whether it's a commercial company or another uh, agency within the Department of Justice. For example, our VoIP system is the U.S. Attorney's VoIP system. We share with them. Our help desk, we share with the uh, ATF, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives. So uh, wherever I can, I share a service rather than do my own, and my goal is to not actually own hardware at some point. That's excellent. Now, David, from CenturyLink, let's, let's turn to you and, and just kind of react initially to what Carl and John are saying. Is this a trend you're starting to see among your clients and when it comes to IT modernization? 
It, it sure is. I think the uniqueness is to listen to both John and Carl talk, and they've attacked different parts of their IT systems. And I think that's one of the messages is very clear, is each agency has a different set of priorities uh, and how they, they uh, categorize them and what's important, whether it's the mission side or taking care of the administration side, whether they're going to share services with another agency or look for an outsource model. Those are all very unique to each agency that we're interacting with. I like to also talk about IT modernization. It's different today than the way we would have talked about it probably for the last 30 years. Um, and that's uh, what I call, it's a lifestyle now. Uh, if we would go back in time, we saw technology change with the length of contracts. We we're very fortunate to have lived in that cycle. Uh, if we look at the network, uh, as an example, we're, EIS is the fourth version of GSA's uh, contract. Um, it also coincides with Frame Relay, ATM, MPLS, and what we're seeing now is the technology change quicker than the contract evolution. In fact, EIS is a 15-year contract. I guarantee you technology will change multiple times throughout the course of this 15 years where we were very fortunate in the past to be able to build a very static network to handle all of these changes that we're seeing. Um, in today's world, the, the network is, is elastic and it continues to move and morph. And all the things we heard uh, the guys talking about were applications. And an application flow, when it changes, when you take something from a dedicated server and you put it up in a cloud, it has a repercussion onto the network. And so our ability to understand what's happening through the whole stack of technology becomes really critical for the foundation, the foundation being that network. The other thing that I think we need to consider uh, through this modernization effort is really to look at applications, look at hosting, look at cloud. How does that wrap with security? So at the, at the foundational layer, the network, at the overarching layer, how do we protect what it is that we're doing to our enterprise? Those are the two critical things I see in this lifestyle. There's so much to unpack for what you said. And we're going to get through it all, I promise, during this. Uh, but I want to go back to uh, one of the early comments you made during your, your discussion is, is IT modernization is different today. It's a lifestyle approach. Mm -hmm. And I think when Carl mentioned the use of iterative development, agile, DevOps, whatever we're calling it, DevSecOps, you, you, I saw you kind of, like, you, mm -hmm. you took note of that. And, and that's why we're different now. That's why IT modernization is not, sure is. hey, Carl, here's a new, or hey, John, here's a new system. Now you're done with it. It's, it's the continuous. Mm -hmm. Talk maybe a little bit about that it, piece it, of IT sure modernization. Is. I think if we would if we would again go back in time, we built purpose-built things, um, and they were custom. In today's DevOps, it's how do you take something that's already 89% developed, uh, modify it ever so slightly for the uniqueness of an enterprise, and and the process you do that in is becomes very critical. And if you can get into a good rhythm where you can replicate how you think, how you uh, approach a problem, how you define the problem, how it affects your customers, um, how you think through it, how you pilot it, how you trial it, and then how do you roll it out to the organization becomes very critical. And if we can, if we can learn that muscle memory, then we're going to be uh, very adept at being able to handle uh, the challenges that we face every month. Something new shows up in our life, and so we, if we can develop that that methodology in the organization, the enterprise understands it, will be able to adapt very quickly. Right, let me turn to Mitchell from Indian Health Service. You've got a chance to listen and, and hear. I'm sure you guys are doing, going on a very similar path. Maybe talk a little bit about Indian Health Service and IT modernization. Sure, and I wanted to start out just talk about our mission. Um, and, and as our guest mentioned previously before, our mission is to raise the physical, mental, social, and spiritual health of, of American Indians and Alaska Natives to the highest level possible. And so we want to think about our technology modernization in terms of, you know, what is it doing uh, to support that mission? And so we're, we're jumping on board with, um, you know, looking at hyper-converged infrastructure, um, with cloud integration, looking at centralized cloud brokering, um, looking forward to getting on board with the new EIS contract. Um, the network upgrades from TDM to Ethernet are critical for us. But I want to also focus a little bit on span expanding broadband uh, in our rural communities because as we deliver these services out, it's really nationwide. Um, we really feel the lack of infrastructure in the rural areas, and so we're looking to these contracts to help create those secure connections um, out across the country in a way that that we can 
um, you know, move from trusted internet connections to, to more managed trusted internet protocol or MTIPS connections, um, get away from old T1 circuits. You know, we still have 58% of our circuits across the country are still T1 circuits back to the network. Um, and so, and, and 200 of those sites only have a single T1 connection. Um, to connect back to that infrastructure. Um, and that infrastructure includes, you know, our electronic health record, um, and it's really sensitive to things like latency. Um, latency back to our data centers. We're still operating a data center um, in Albuquerque, and so, you know, we, we have lots of data needs that, that still require that, um, but we're definitely looking at how um, health information technology modernization will, will impact that in the future. Um, and we're starting to explore those options now, um, and through through the next couple of years, we'll really be developing that that strategy. The 58% number kind of stands out to me is still on the T1s, and, and mainly that's because of the, the communities you serve is, is is out in the rural areas. Is there, do you see a solution is in the IT modernization under that umbrella? Is that the, the, is that the first piece you got to look at is how do we kind of move off that older technology? Or it, it was very similar to what I was asking John, how are you prioritizing what comes first, if you will, since you, like John said, there's a lot of needs at once. Yeah, so, so the needs of our, our clinicians uh, out in the field and, and as they run into barriers with, with those network te technologies, they become a priority um, as we have expanded services. The need for improved radiology reads is a tremendous burden on our networks, for example. Um, those things come up as a priority, but um, the strategy will be to, to leverage that EIS contract to create new and, and more um, trust uh, MTIPS connections um, so that we, we have uh, better security secured network speed out into those areas um, and a lot more um, options into those areas. Because right now, some of those areas are just very limited with the options that you have and the new contract will help us and with that. You brought the electronic health record, and, and I know of covering Indian Health Service in the past, talking to some of your predecessors in the CIO role, mm -hmm. that, that's always been a huge focus. How do we get the telehealth and stuff, and you got to have the technology behind it. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into so many things that David laid out there. You're listening to the panel discussion, A Roadmap for Enabling IT Modernization, sponsored by CenturyLink on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Dave Young, Senior Vice President, Strategic Government with CenturyLink. Today, federal agencies are busy modernizing their IT systems. They are building tomorrow's digital government, and they're using technology that will make a real difference in people's lives. CenturyLink is helping them migrate to the cloud, build modern networks, and fortify their security. When you think IT modernization, think CenturyLink. Visit CenturyLink.com federal to learn more about building your digital government today. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, a roadmap for enabling IT modernization, sponsored by CenturyLink on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Carl Mathias, the Chief Information Officer for the Justice Department's U.S. Marshal Service, John Moses, the Director of the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Mitchell Thornbrew, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the Indian Health Service at the Department of Health and Human Services, and David Young, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Government for CenturyLink. I want to go back to something that I thoroughly enjoyed that David said about the lifestyle has changing about IT modernization. And John, you want to pick up on that a little bit because really what he's talking about is, is something that I think you, you just in, in, a, in a small way, the fact is you have so many projects going on at once and delivering those capabilities. So, so maybe John, talk a little bit about how this agile DevOps fits into your, your IT modernization. Sure, so our IT modernization focuses and rests on three principal kind of elements for that stool. First off, um, we talked about kind of IT modernization. The second is transforming service delivery, and the third is leveraging technology to improve business processes. So I'll talk a little bit more about um, how we're transforming service delivery. Um, first off, um, organizationally at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, um, our CIO and deputy CIO restructured the office along service delivery lines. So we um, consolidated five divisions into two large divisions to focus on those two components. In addition, and probably equally substantive, is that we shifted from our prior acquisition strategy, which was a single vendor, single award model for several years, in which most, if not all, of the assets, the hardware and the software, were owned by the vendor and leased back to the agency for a fee in the service. We're shifting that to a multi-vendor, multi-award series of services 
mobility, security, well, security operations, and user computing, and servers, networks, collaborative computing. That's basically data centers and networks. So those four big components, and then there's another one for service integration. So those are the five pieces we've shifted to. There are different vendors. Um, they all can compete for all those different components, but that doesn't mean they all may win it. And also, so it gives us a much greater flexibility on the point David was talking about is the rapid evolution of technology. So if we have vendor A providing a service under mobility, um, we can also recompete that, particularly if there's a new technology that emerges, and then all the vendors can recompete for that, and it might still be vendor A or it might be vendor D to switch it out. So that's providing us a much greater degree of flexibility. It's also reducing our costs, and we're looking at a cost reduction approaching 5 to 10 percent just on, on increasing competition across that um, aspect of acquisitions. Then the other piece that I haven't talked about is leveraging technology for business process and kind of the mission side that, that um, Dr. Mathias was talking about. So on the one hand, we're transforming paper-based processes to automated processes um, through a variety of different efforts. We have a couple pilots underway. Um, and we're also restructuring and rationalizing the multiple mission service applications and systems that we have. So some of the examples for um, transitioning from paper, we've piloted some technologies for digitization now. As we all know, digitization's been out there for decades. However, some of the tools we're, we've piloted and we're looking to further are using artificial intelligence and computer visioning to accelerate and improve the quality of that. So we're looking at pretty dramatic increases in delivery time and lowering costs. Um, in terms of restructuring our systems, um, one of those, we have the benefit of when we move to th Office 365, we're a pretty big SharePoint user. We have a lot of different applications that follow the Microsoft um, models. However, that's on-premise. On-premise is a lot different than in the cloud, so we will be going through a rationalization to look at which of those SharePoint applications can be and should be migrated up to 365. John, one thing you said surprised me is, is getting kind of away from that managed service approach with the one vendor at least. Is, is that because of the cost factor? I mean, can you give me a sense of, of, I hear so much and maybe I should bring David into this instead because so many agencies want to move to a managed service. And so I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it's an interesting change. So, so I think it depends on the business. So for instance, our unified communications, that is moving towards a managed service. So that's somewhat of a different model. Before it was literally every different service. When we went out to mobility, we kind of piloted that a few years ago when we shifted off um, one technology platform to another and one software platform to another. We actually shifted out and we saw pretty dramatic cost savings and improved service delivery. And we saw the users respond by nearly doubling the number of users for BYOD. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Carl, jump in a little bit, uh, the managed service piece or, or just from your perspective, the, the, this new style of, yeah. of uh, Agile DevOps. You said you're knee deep in it. Yes, uh, so managed service wise, uh, we're actually pushing more toward that. Uh, we had, uh, you know, our big success story was to team up with ATF to go to a managed service approach to our service desk. Uh, so, because previously I was, I actually had government folks in there helping to run this thing. Uh, when we went to the managed service approach, had the vendor run it, our, our uh, first call resolution times went up, our uh, call abandonment rates dropped by 50%, our average wait times dropped by 70%. I mean, it's, it's dramatic. It's to the point, actually, that we have a way you can do an automated password reset, and people would rather call the service desk because it's faster than them doing it themselves. So uh, you, you can you know, get a lot of success through uh, pushing, uh, let the vendors do what they do best versus uh, treat it as if it were inherently governmental work. So that's what I would say about managed services. But what we found in terms of you know, progressing toward modernization is you have to look, I'm currently looking at two sides and this is going to integrate together, but I have my operations side, which is keeping the lights on, keeping things running. And then I have the development side, which is building the new capabilities or enhancing what we have. Uh, we are eventually going to progress toward a DevOps model that brings those closer together. Uh, but we've really worked toward Agile and part of the first thing uh, you have to do with Agile is 
there's some upfront work uh, that we've discovered. And so what we did uh, for the major modernization effort and our, our significant modernization efforts afterward for other systems is we do a business process analysis upfront to give us the roadmap for what we're going to do for the epics, uh, the user stories within the development. And the, the reason for that's really simple. It's not my saying, but it's an old one that says, you know, if you uh, just, if you automate a bad process, you simply deliver a bad product faster, right? So what we, uh, what we've done is to make sure to go through and look at those processes and we found lots of duplication. We eliminate the business issue up front and then uh, now all of our development projects, with the exception of a couple legacy systems that are going to stay in a legacy mode, uh, now go through Agile where we have a backlog. Uh, we pr work off that backlog. We, uh, If new things are brought in by the customers along the way in the development, that's added and prioritized within the backlog and brought out. So we do that for all of our development projects and now we're starting to move that into our engineering projects. I think the thing I would say in terms of reshaping the culture is that it, our users were not used to this. They were used to the old waterfall method of we're going to get all the requirements up front, we'll see you in three years, and we'll deliver something that's not relevant anymore. Uh, we got out of that business, okay? We're, we, and so bringing the customer in, we had to train them. We learned this the hard way to be honest, uh, that you need to train them on the process also. They have to understand what their role is as product owner, and they have to understand that there's a significant commitment of time on their part. But what we found is they appreciate it because they get what they want after, and they get it faster, and they are able to add as we go along. And when I, I could you know, pick an example, the Shield product, which is this handheld ability uh, capability to do work, started with just wanting to pull criminal histories on the spot. And then they saw how fast that could be brought out. Then it was, can you read a driver's license? Then it was, can you read a license plate? And then is, can you do get fingerprints? And so those all became increments in the Agile process, just, and it's worked magnificently in that respect. David, let me turn to you because one of the things that both what John and Carl kind of described really depended on that network piece, so the modernization of the network, and, and whether we're talking software defined or network virtualization or even just a better network that's that you know is, is, is has better storage, has better uh, speed. Maybe talk a little bit about why that piece of the network will really underpins what they're talking about with agile DevOps and, and, and managed services. Sure. Um, when we when we jump into networking today, I think the best term to use is hybrid networking. Um, because it, it's not going to be an ATM network, it's not going to be a frame network. Um, what we're going to do in hybrid networking is use SDN. It's going to use public IP. It's going to use a variety of technologies just put together, Legoed together, let's say, differently than what we would have experienced in the past, where we were building a three-year program to build a brand new VPN network. Well, in today's world, we're going to be able to compartmentalize the types of services that a facility might need. And so at the core, your data centers, you probably have some optical type connection. Um, to your regional centers, sure, there could be a VPN, MPLS type based service. Maybe way out at the edge, we're using public IP with the right type of security on it. But what we've done is we've created a single network, a hybrid network, that begins to layer all of those different technologies together as it best needs uh, to what the agency is trying to solve for. So I think it's very unique of what we're going to experience going forward. And again, very unique to each agency and how the agency, we were talking uh, at break about the rural requirements and you know it's going to be hard to take an optical solution out to a rural requirement. So what technologies exist and then how do we protect it become really important in how we design the foundation that enables all of the discussion that we've been having. Carl, jump in. So Jason, it's coming back to David's point on that, uh, the rural issue for the marshals is a real problem. Uh, we're going to have uh, folks who are, you know, I have 40, uh, 475 offices, and many of those have T1 lines, and we're upgrading those, but a lot of those uh, deputies are not in those offices. In fact, it's considered a bad thing to be in your office. You want to be out there. So if you're in the middle of Alaska, uh, you have no infrastructure if you're out in a small village. And so we have to be able to integrate. Uh, I have to have tools that work whether you're in, on a mountaintop in Alaska or you're sitting in the middle of Washington, D.C. Uh, they have to work at all points in between, which means, uh, back to your point, David, I've got to have this layer above 
That's what I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking at him, uh, for those of you on the radio, <laughs> saying deliver this, please. Uh, the ability to look at that as a single network. So whether I'm on LTE, whether I'm on a sat phone, whether I'm tied right in to you know, local circuit, I need it all to work without me having to worry about how do I integrate all this together. Yeah, and, and Carl, I think uh, great applications, right? Um, and the United States federal government is the first to come up with these requirements. Um, I like to say the, the government is Fortune 101A because it uses and consumes all of the technologies that we see being deployed by Fortune 500 companies. And so if we begin to look across those boundaries and what the Fortune 500s have done to solve similar problems, um, oil industry would be a great uh, parallel to talk about. How do, we, how do we build those solutions for the enterprise? We can, with the right security, uh, begin to take those same technologies that we're solving as a corporation for our commercial customers, begin to bring them to bear in our federal marketplace. And I think the EIS contract is like a grocery store because it has all of the things that we've been talking about that the enterprise has been buying, that now the federal government has their wherewithal, has their ability to get at and begin to deploy those technologies for, for themselves. Uh, Mitch, let me turn to you because I think when, when Carl was talking about the, the challenges of having, you know, being in, in Alaska or being in Washington, D.C., you have very similar challenges. And, and as, as you guys are re-looking at your IT modernization and, and, okay, how do we improve our network, what are some of the things that, that either, A, you're, you're, you know, you're going to maybe steal from these guys, yes. or what's coming to mind as you guys kind of start to reimagine that, that, that piece? So, you know, ultimately we worry, we're worried about that last mile on, on broadband, but, um, you know, and, and the costs associated with, with running fiber to some remote areas, you know, one of our examples to get, to get rid of a T1, you know, was, was almost a $2 million project um, and took 18 months uh, to deliver the results, um, to, to put that last mile of infrastructure in in about a 20-mile stretch. Uh, but. But beyond that, looking at um, how these converged network management tools are coming to bear for us as we add all these endpoints to our network, you know, we're really focused on the security of, of that network. And so have, having that centrally managed um, infrastructure you know, really allows us to um, leverage that transition to EIS to create you know, continuous diagnostic and mitigation programs on the endpoints of those networks and, and focus less on being reactive to things inside of our network, but really protect those edges as well. So uh, you went down the path of security. Well, that, was, that was the next segment, but that's fine because I think there's a, there's a ton to talk about there. So, so let me turn to David a little bit. And, and when we talk security and we talk about network security, one of the big, big benefits of, of, of SDN, network virtualization, is that pushing of, of changing the software quickly. It's not like, okay, I got to bring another server and I got to put that new tool in the server and hopefully it works with everything else. Maybe talk about that, those benefits of SDN as it relates, not just security, but the flexibility that they're also looking for. Yeah, I think um, as, as we look at what's happening with technology and it's, it's about applications now and we're seeing applications deployed on white boxes, right? And so that's occurring um, up and down the stack. Um, it's, it's somewhat new to the telecom side of things, but it's, it's fast approaching where we're going to be able to stick um, a, a, a white box. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of... I'm going to interrupt. Yep. Define white box because I think, at least for me, I'm not familiar with that term. It's a what? Uh, um, it would be uh, a white label box is just a standard deployed, um, say, server that you can put any application on. Okay. Um, and so if, if you deploy all of those boxes uh, out to your edges, now you're not in a proprietary mode uh, of equipment manufacturer. Now you've got a white labeled box that can handle multiple uh, service provider uh, deployments of software. So maybe we put out uh, a profile uh, for a hybrid network that's X, Y, and Z out on the white label. We want to make a, a, a broad change to the network. Now all we have to do is send that uh, batch out overnight. In a proprietary world, you're, you've got to understand what you've got deployed, where, what proprietary language and tools that you're using. So efficiency increases quite a bit, um, and you've been able to secure it in a, in a uniform manner versus this proprietary system, that proprietary system. So it's a much different environment to, to deploy. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to jump into the, that security conversation a little more deeply. You are listening to the panel discussion, a road 
roadmap for enabling IT modernization, sponsored by CenturyLink, on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Here's Dave Young, Senior Vice President, Strategic Government with CenturyLink. Today, federal agencies are busy modernizing their IT systems. They are building tomorrow's digital government, and they're using technology that will make a real difference in people's lives. CenturyLink is helping them migrate to the cloud, build modern networks, and fortify their security. When you think IT modernization, think CenturyLink. Visit CenturyLink.com federal to learn more about building your digital government today. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, a roadmap for enabling IT modernization, sponsored by CenturyLink on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dr. Carl Mathias, the Chief Information Officer for the Justice Department's U.S. Marshals Service, John Moses, the Director of Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Mitch Thornburg, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the Indian Health Service in the Department of Health and Human Services, and David Young, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Government for CenturyLink. In the very end of se- uh, segment two, uh, Mitchell was kind enough to bring up security, which is a, a topic I'm sure we could spend the entire panel on, but we're just going to start with the segment. And one of the things is you talk about network modernization, when you talk about the move to software-defined networking, and when you talk about IT modernization, security is the one that kind of flows through it all. So let me start again on the end of the table with John, and, and maybe talk a little bit from a, from a strategic perspective, uh, since you, you get the title of, you know, uh, uh, governance and enterprise management. How is security playing into your IT modernization? Sure, thanks for that. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is considering that the mission of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is the safe and secure use of radioactive materials and civilian use, cybersecurity is very, very fundamental to our mission. So there are a couple things that we've started to do how, in terms of how we execute and deliver cybersecurity in preparation for IT modernization and to um, expand and improve our our network capabilities. So over the last several years, we've done a couple of things. First, we've streamlined the compliance process and procedures, shifting from an initial compliance process that was, um, let's say, on the more static side to a more iterative monitoring compliance approach. Uh, We've also continued to standardize and streamline our processes across cybersecurity capabilities. Um, We've also taken um, the gauntlet of investing more in patch management system upgrades, enhanced monitoring protection and remediation capabilities. So we've improved that. Um, We've also restructured how the agency reviews and addresses cybersecurity into a highly collaborative process. So this is within the last few years. So we actually restructured ourselves um, for several years, we had daily cybersecurity meetings that kick off where the CISO, the CIO, the operations, and, and the government side, we all get together um, based on standardized reports and standardized metrics that we look at at our capabilities, um, threats, remediations, et cetera, um, and do that every day. Um, in addition, we only consider FedRAMP um, approved cloud offerings for our cloud support. And also we've instituted the the DHS CDM, or Continuous Diagnostic and Monitoring. We've implemented phase one, we're well into phase two. Um, And then thanks to the CIO and the CISO and the rest of our leadership team, we've seen pretty um, dramatic improvements in in results for our cybersecurity program. Um, NRC's among the top four CFO Act agencies for cybersecurity under the President's Management Council FISMA ratings. Um, GAO recently rated the Nuclear Regulatory Commission as fully compliant, which is the highest standard for cybersecurity across five metrics, detect, identify, protect, respond, recover. Um, And we're one of a handful of agencies in that bailiwick. Um, We've fully implemented the DMARC, which is secure email functionality, and we're closely working with DHS to monitor our external facing website. So we've seen results with that kind of collaborative shift and transition towards a more agile, active, dynamic approach. And does this also tag back to, you went through a kind of a, a whole litany of kind of like compliance and, and, and stuff, but it also tags back to how you're approaching IT modernization. Mm-hmm. It also tags back to how you're approaching the network modernization piece too, that without 
these changes, the, the next step will be hopefully a little easier. I mean, cybersecurity. Is, is that the thought process that a absolutely. you got to get this upfront stuff done? So, for instance, when we were um, planning to migrate to Office 365, we upgraded our network. We went to a direct connection. Um, there are a lot of different aspects of that that we upgraded and improved, both on the process side, on the hardware side, and the software side, to get us up and ready for 365. But also, we're going to reuse those capabilities as we continue to roll out more cloud based services, both for the mission and for the non-mission side. And, and Carl, you have a very similar, you know, cybersecurity is, a, you know, if not priority one, it's 1A, and at the same time, you have a different mission, obviously, than, than the NRC, and, and you have the whole mobility side. So maybe talk the cyber piece and, and how that kind of is playing into this IT modernization effort. And, and yeah, it's similar to uh, what John's describing. Uh, we build security considerations uh, right up from the front. E even in at the approval of a project, we're talking about what are the security implications, and it goes all the way through the process. Uh, for example, the warrant system. I've been talking about prisoner management system. There are actually two dedicated uh, cybersecurity folks attached to that. As things are developed, they're in the loop on everything that happens. So, uh, w but when we look at the bigger picture, everything's about boundaries, uh, establishing your security boundaries and what you're going to do in there. So when you go to mobile solutions, uh, it, it gets a little trickier because you've got your processing that may be happening in the cloud or on your data center, and now you're coming in through a mobile device, and that mobile device is just another vector for somebody to get in. And unfortunately, the you know the crew we're dealing with uh, are you know some of those cartels and other crime groups are well funded. Uh, they have recognized that investing in hackers is in a good investment for them for both crime and for trying to get into us. So we take the eyes for example, whether it's an iPhone or an Android or another device, uh, we have to look and see how are we going to secure that. And so that has uh, led us down a path where it's not one single product that does it, it's a combination of products we put on. Uh, and our customers, uh, my internal customers, the deputies have had to get used to this idea that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to, it's, we tell them we're not watching you, we're watching your phone to see if there's unusual behavior. And that's been a cultural adjustment for them uh, when the, we call them up and say, get off that hot spot, it's been compromised, and uh, or something like that. that that's been a wake-up call for them. So that security, getting out to the very edge, has just been a, a real exercise. But then even when you come back into the cloud environment, as we move to the cloud, that's also been a learning uh, experience for us because just because an, a, a cloud service provider is FedRAMP certified, we've discovered they you have to watch them and, and really read the reports on whether they're truly patching to the level that FISMA requires, that they're meeting all those FISMA requirements. And we've often found we have to get on their case about it. And then at the same time, never trust them, always encrypt everything, uh, do your own security. So, so Mitch, you rounded up here for the, from the agency perspective, I'm going to Dave for the, maybe the, the vendor perspective, but very similar to, I think, what Carl is experiencing. You mentioned the, the endpoint, the concerns about security. How is uh, Indian Health Service really kind of have that focus to Friday modernization? Sure. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, software-defined networks and, and converging that infrastructure really has the uh, potential to reduce our overhead of our current WAN, MPLS technologies the same way hyper-converged tech infrastructures improved our data center operations, so that same level of efficiency, um, being able to move quickly um, and get solutions out, uh, being able to leverage FedRAMP certified um, solutions uh, is an amazing resource that I think we all uh, look to to get a start on, um, but being mindful of, of our own infrastructure, um, even when you're using those uh, approved or certified vendors and products. Um, you know, we're really focused on, on uh, continuous diagnostic and monitoring and encryption. Um, we deal very uh, intimately with health information for our patients. Um, and that's extremely important to protect, and you guys know that there's a huge black market opportunity for that, the value of that data, and, and we have a lot of that um, that we both store um, and move around our, our networks, and that's why we have to have that focus on, on security. Um, but we're really focused on protecting that PHI, protected health information, um, making sure that, that the data uh, is protected both in transit, but also dealing with data at rest, data at rest at our locations, um, at our data centers um, to make sure that, that that information can't be compromised and that our patients can trust us to keep that, that very private health information secure and, and out of um, nefarious 
uh, hands. And David, tag this all together. Really, mm -hmm. what we're talking about here is is it, when you talked about the new style of IT modernization. When you talk about the need for network modernization and and, and um, software-defined networking, all that is is really. A, again, relates back to the security piece. It, it, in short notes, Jason, I think uh, when we begin to look at it, uh, when we talk about a lifestyle, I think if we would look at the folks that have been living in security, they live a modernization lifestyle already. Um, the, it, nothing's at rest from, a, from an attack perspective. Um, as soon as you figure out how to stop a bad guy, he figures out another way to get at it. So the lifestyle we're talking about, we could look at the security folks that have been living it for some time. It's an ideal place to look at. That's what's happening to all of IT. And it's not that it's under attack, but it's under evolution. And that's what security is. It's a constant evolution. I think when we look at security, there are four major groups that, that are very important to understand. Um, technology, and we heard the guys all talking about different types of technologies and where they're using technology. That's definitely uh, one of the big food groups there. The next is people, behaviors. How are people behaving? How are they adapting to this technology world? We heard Dr. Mathias talk about the, the interaction with the, with the field and how that's changed. The third would be operational. What are we doing to operationalize around the, the idea of security. And finally, and I think this is the one people kind of catch their breath after the third one, but the fourth one is partnerships. And so who do you trust? Who are you interacting with? Who can share information with you about what they are seeing, about what they are experiencing? So those are the four major food groups that I look at from a security standpoint and what gets really important. I think from a, a CenturyLink perspective, the thing that we can offer a lot of what's going on is if you think of a house, um, if you wait to let the bad guy in the front door, you're in trouble and you're using a lot of technology and a lot of people resources to solve for it. So what can we do from an internet service provider to let you know who's walking up to your front door. And I think the key, though, is the back door. Where, where is information leaving your network that we can help you understand that something's leaving your network and it's going to a known bad actor on the internet? How can we work together to get that solved and get that stopped and be able to solve that inside the house before it leaves the back door? And I think David brings up a really interesting point about understanding the threats that you face. And, and let me just put Carl on the spot for a second. When you talk to the people in the field and your customers, and they understand the cyber threats, they understand the risks that they do face. I'm, I'm making an assumption here. You're making an assumption there, yes. Because <laughs> you, you think with all the different <laughs> issues that have gone on, whether it's Target or J.P. Morgan Chase or OPM or whomever, that people kind of get it. But I do get that feeling from other CIOs that there's still some work. I think there's uh, still education to be done. I, I liked when I was at DOD that, uh, and I, th I think there's still the same way there is, we're trying to educate users that every time you log on, you're stepping into a battlefield, whether you know it or not, and it's a shooting war. Uh, and, and I'm just saying in terms of how Hackers trying to get into systems and targeting people and phishing and spear phishing. Uh, you know, we, we do our best to educate people uh, on this threat, but you still run into and, problems. And David, that's why having that partnership, and, and I think one of your key tenants here, is so important because I'm smart, you're smart, together we're smarter. And I think that's the concept that people... Stronger together. And then you can right. be reactive, right. you, can, you can be less reactive and more predictive, and then also you don't have to worry, Carl and John and, and Mitch don't have to worry about their people the non-cyber people understanding the cyber threat because somebody else is kind of handling that side. And I think that's well, the future. I still think you have to go through the education process. You have to constantly communicate with your workforce about what uh, threat indicators are changing and what's coming at them. That's a constant communication. That's that people group in the, in the food groups I was talking about. But, but having partners that understand once you've been compromised that it's happened and, it ha and you identify that quickly. You can't leave the back door open and let a bunch of data leave for over periods of time, which is, I think, what uh, some of the enterprises uh, that you brought up uh, it, it happened to them. It was months of data leaking out the back. Carl. And I think key to this also is uh, exercises to get your people used to the ideas. So, for example, DOJ does uh, monthly phishing exercises mm -hmm. to get people used to, this is what you should be watching for. Mm -hmm. right, Mitch, jump in as well. Sure, just, you know, this really got me thinking about um, some of our specific threats in that we need to share health information data in our industry. And some of the ways we do that, we develop these partnerships and we have to be very stringent in the way that we communicate expectations to those partners because we are 
sharing health information from our system to their system to benefit that patient, to give that physician, you know, the high quality data they need to make the best possible, you know, diagnosis or plan of care for that patient. And when we do that, we have to focus on data use agreements, but also the tools and the responses and having that beyond just a legally legalistic trusted relationship, but really knowing how to pick up the phone and tell them we think you have a problem or you think we have a problem and, and how you work through that. And it can be very complex and just highlights the need um, to really talk about partnerships when we talk about security. And it's interesting because I, I started off the conversation IT modernization and EIS, Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions Contract, and, and Mitch, you brought that up several times. I imagine you're, 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 you're waiting, you're chomping at the bit a little bit for to kind of move out because I think you see the, the potential of getting that managed security, getting being less kind of like worrisome. I mean, I guess you're always worrisome, but yeah. you, you know, kind of make David do all the hard work in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as, as some of the folks talked about, you know, not having to have hardware and, and infrastructure on their site, it's tough to be a security expert. It's tough to be, you know, up to speed on everything that's changing. It's evolving so quickly, and it really is nice to be able to outsource that um, to an extent to professionals. Keep obviously our in-house folks and and mind our our networks and, and our issues, but but to be able to have um, vendors and and really partners that can really help us uh, stay on top of those threats as quickly as they're evolving. David, as, as we kind of wrap up the panel here, we're just about out of time. Do you, do you get a sense that uh, the, the the feeling that Mitch is kind of expressing about the the potential other agencies are getting, or, or you know, do they see a little bit of light at the end of the IT modernization tunnel? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that one of the challenges we, we and I'm, I'm going to introduce a new concept, and that's the procurement cycle. You only got right? 30 seconds. The, the, the <laughs> pr procurement cycle, and that's let me know what your outcome desire is. Try not to tell me how to do it. And that's what a real partnership is. And so let me bring the expertise from the marketplace to bear inside your enterprise. Try not to tell me how to do it. Tell me what you want to achieve. We could talk all day about that. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time. This has been a fascinating discussion. I really appreciate everyone's time. You've been listening to the panel discussion, A Roadmap for Enabling IT Modernization, sponsored by CenturyLink on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Let me thank my guests, Dr. Carl Mathias, the Chief Information Officer at the Justice Department's U.S. Marshals Service, John Moses, the Director of the Governance and Enterprise Management Services Division at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Mitch Thornbrew, the Acting Chief Information Officer at the Indian Health Service in the Department of Health and Human Services, and David Young, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Government for CenturyLink. I'm Jason Miller, your host, and for more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search IT Roadmap. Thank you for listening to the A Roadmap for Enabling IT Modernization panel discussion, sponsored by CenturyLink on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com, keyword IT Roadmap.